0: Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City series,
1: with your host Tim Williams.
0: Our guest today is Andrew Burmeister, who is Assistant Commissioner for Capital Projects in the Department of Cultural Affairs uh, in New York City, and uh, so he's got rather an interesting and big budget to spend on on capital projects for cultural institutions in. The City That Never Sleeps. This is a fascinating conversation of interest to anybody everywhere. We all love New York. We all love the culture of New York. And uh, Andrew is very significant in supporting institutions and agencies, delivering culture and arts to people all over the five boroughs. It's a great conversation. Uh, Andrew, Andy, can I call you Andy? Of course uh, you can. Burmeister, who tell us, what, tell us what you are, what your role is in the great world of culture in, in
1: New York City. So my title is Assistant Commissioner for Capital Projects within the city's Department of Cultural Affairs. Um, it's a pretty small agency, about uh, just over 50 people, 52, 53 is our head count, which is tiny within the bureaucracy of a city like New York. Um, and it's, there's some real advantages to that uh, in that it lets us kind of fly under the radar uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but i don't want to speak more about that because i'll get in trouble but that's it
0: but that's a good comment i've I've almost never heard anybody defend smallness uh, so elegantly before i think that's uh that's very good i like that yeah and and so um and you're in new york of course so you're, you're doing this for and it's the by nyc so people get a real understanding of the geography of this is this the five boroughs
1: it's all five boroughs yep manhattan the bronx staten island queens and brooklyn
0: right And we'll talk about that because I guess there are challenges you know that there are like in any city there are pressures we've had a big. um, sort of controversy about arts funding actually in Sydney in where I where I live, although I'm doing the interview from London at the moment, but where it's around things like Oh, you know uh, all the arts and cultural funding goes into the kind of CBD area and not enough. Uh, to other A's, you must be under the same sort of discussion, you know. Uh, you're
1: getting way, way ahead. You're talking, <laughs> you're already hitting all the bullet points. No, no. <laughs> no, just I wanted to give you a little bit more background about Okay, yeah, yeah, fair I enough. I think it is useful. We are principally, we're what's called, we're a mayoral agency, uh, so we we exist under the auspices of the, the mayor's office, uh, and we are what's known as a funding agency, which is our principal mission is to fund things. Uh, so there's a, a whole division of us that is related to program funding, which uh, allocates funds in support of cultural programming. And there's a a smaller subset that handles what's known as the Cultural Institutions Group, and that is a specific list of about 34 organizations that exist on city property through a special license agreement and get uh, particular operating subsidies from the city. And then there's my unit, which is a capital unit. And we invest our funds, which are generated not from tax revenue, but from the sale of municipal bonds. And we distribute these to cultural projects. And we do it to projects, as you sort of alluded to, all over the city in all five boroughs, though I think anyone who's been to the city probably recognizes that a lot of them are concentrated in lower Manhattan. Um, And by lower Manhattan, I mean, below 125th street essentially below the top of central park right um but, uh but you've already you you've ahead? already you've
0: already just said like three fascinating things from a, a, a international. no no seriously i, I know you were you're a bit worried that it was going to be quite a serious discussion because you've got serious things to, to to do but that's very interesting by the way one of them for example is that many cities in the world london doesn't really have the capacity to do bonds for for its municipal purposes, and they don't do them in in Australian cities because of the governance, they're they're, they're effectively, we don't really have big city governance, we have state government is much much Mm -hmm. stronger in the Australian context, and national government is much stronger in the London context, but you've got the capacity to raise money for things like cultural
1: um, institutions for, for building. Yeah, and what to me, what is so remarkable, Remarkable about it is I'm uh, I was born in New York, but I grew up well outside of New York and was educated even further away from New York, and uh, and started my professional career even further still. Um, and and I you know my background is in architecture, and I worked for about ten years in the private sector uh, uh, with architects, and and I can remember being in in cities and towns where um, there was a bond issue if you wanted to build a school, if you wanted to add on to the local museum. It went to the voters every time and sometimes those bond issues wouldn't pass and um, and therefore a project would would not happen. And we've sort of have the luxury in New York of having streamlined that we don't have to go to the voters, we just have this understanding that As with other important civic infrastructure fire stations and schools and police stations and and community centers and things like that, the culture is lumped into that. And I think what's most remarkable, that's already remarkable. But what makes it even more remarkable is that it's not even just cultural facilities that exist on city property. We have been able to interpret this and we've worked with the the very smart attorneys at the law department um, to use restrictive covenants that essentially put a city use restriction on the projects that we invest in. So that even if it's on private property, we have some assurance through this restrictive covenant that there will be a city purpose for the length of that bond. So we're getting value out of it, and by "we," I mean everyone who visits the city and everyone who lives in the city is getting some value out of that investment.
0: So it like guarantees that the values of the organization are respected for the for the length of the of the bond, as it were. Right?
1: Correct. It it, it guarantees, and I'll you know I'll give an example. It doesn't happen very often. But we did have a situation a couple of years ago where um, there was a dance organization in a site that we had built out for them. And uh, for some reason, their operations were not sustainable and they had to fold. And we were able, we were required through this restrictive covenant to find another organization to move in. But we were able to as well. Um, And we were able to move another, again, dance organization happily into that space and they're you know absolutely thriving they've expanded there it's happens to be a neighbor of ours so we see them uh in on the block next door um you know dancers hanging out going in and out congregating outside and and there's just a lot of activity in that site
0: so um you as predicted we did get ahead of ourselves but it's entirely my fault so uh i i shall return you now to the first geography that we need to talk about which is new york itself Your, sure. it's an amazing organization it's an amazing city um, a lot of people involved in culture and the arts and in the world will know of the um, Create NYC Master Plan that came out in 2017, which we, we might talk a little bit about, but it's uh, you know was a world leading document, in my view, at, at the time. We all think that New York is awash with uh, cash for cultural institutions, and you're about to tell me that's not entirely the case. It's always hard to get the resources, but you've got these interesting devices. But let's go back to New York. New York, like internationally, all cities have been having a hard time. Uh, through the COVID experience. London was very hard hit. Sydney, not so hard, but still a very real and challenging experience, particularly for artists, for cultural institutions. So uh, how, how have you guys been playing, uh, I guess, uh, an important role in helping the sector through, its, through this crisis or uh, what's, what's, what's it
1: been like? Well, I know again, a lot of this is, uh, yeah, I'm looking at things through the lens of capital investment. Yeah. So I can talk a little bit anecdotally yeah. about some of the things that I know that happened. If you don't mind, um, one, yeah. yeah. One thing I know that happened uh, early on with, with COVID was there was a, a, a what, what was, what's referred to locally as the, the cultural call at three, where all of the cultural organizations got on the phone with the commissioner every day at three o'clock for updates on, you know, when are things closing? When are things maybe gonna reopen? Of course, that was when people thought we'd close for two weeks and yeah. that didn't happen. Um, but that I think has been a tremendous legacy. Those calls happen. They don't happen every day anymore. Um, but they still happen, and it's a great way for all of the cultural community to come together as collaborators rather than as competitors. Um, so that's a terrific legacy. I know it's been, um, you know, it's different. Our world is not just museums, and it's not just museums and theaters. Uh, our world also includes living collections. So, all of the botanical gardens in the city and all the zoos. And I think for those gardens and zoos, it's been a little bit easier. I think there was a little bit shorter time uh, of shutting down, though I think there were a lot of essential workers associated with keeping living collections alive. Um, so those were some of the organizations where people did go into work. Um, I'll also say that on the capital side, we had a period of, of six or eight months where construction was stopped on our projects. I think we were focused on building things that were essential. And unfortunately, in this context, uh, uh, temporary hospitals and and things like that were deemed more essential, I think, properly. Um, So a lot of our projects were put on hold. Um, I think it it worked fine. A lot of organizations were able to regroup. Um, And I think there was also a fear that um, the the debt service associated with building uh, hospitals quickly might make it not sustainable to invest in cultural as robustly as we oh, have yes. previously. Yes. I will say that in our, we we administer funds just the, because of the uh, 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 logistics of how governance works in this city. We are allocated a budget through the mayor, but the city council also has its own discrete budget and the borough presidents who are the, the elected leaders of each of the five boroughs, they have their own budget. We administer the funds for all of those. And I will say that in fiscal year 21, the one that was determined in um, right in the heart of the pandemic in the summer of of, of 2020, uh, the while the borough presidents and the city council were able to allocate funds, I think the the mayor and the office of management and budget did not think it was prudent to invest in culture. So for the first time in the history of the agency, we took a year off from cultural funding. I'm happy to say that last year that was somewhat erased and we had the largest budget the, the de Blasio administration so there's something of a happy ending but you know practically practically speaking it did slow down some of our projects and of course the you know the you're probably seeing this in in London and Sydney as well the repercussion now is that some of our capital costs have have ballooned um related to supply chain issues and, absolutely and like
0: that. yeah and I you know 30 percent, as it well, or even more. You know, there's a, this is a very interesting, challenging time for everybody internationally in, in that area. You've already, I think, said something very interesting there, Andy, around um, having the, the the institutions had a kind of focus and a, and a unity um, when it came to the crisis. They could talk to someone, they could pick up the phone to the mayor, which is a very important thing to be able to do. It seems to me that isn't what ev- all cities are able to do because their governance is different. Right. But, you know what I mean? It, it's a the, the the mayor of Sydney operates in four percent of the of the population I think of the entire city, whereas the they're for a small part of the city. There is no greater Sydney city mayor, so we haven't got. And London's got that more. And I guess the same would have happened in London as in as in New York. But um, so uh, what about the? So you you kind of took a year off in a sense. But uh, do you sense that? I um, mean, you said that the the, the funding's coming back, and and that's that's very positive. Do you? sense that maybe the current mayor's got a a
1: bigger interest in your agenda um and that's hard to say we are right now working on our recommendations our fiscal year Ah, begins july 1st so we're preparing right now our agenda i know our our new commissioner uh lori cumbo appointed by the mayor is really excited about the capital process and i think is gonna uh gonna go with our recommendations and 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 really advocate strongly on a on a really profound cultural investment um and really build upon what was a great year last year. I did want to go go back because yeah. you, you know we talked a little bit about covid and the city's response and I I I wanted to talk outside of the world of of just construction and and investment in infrastructure just to say that I think probably like London or Sydney or anywhere in the world we are still wrestling um right now on an operational side with theater you know in a theater do you wear a mask do you not wear a mask are you vaccinated do you do you not require vaccinations and trying to figure out what is the right measure that um, makes people feel welcome and safe but also not um, uh, you know not uh, singled out for some personal choice that they've made Um, so that's uh, there's a real reckoning that's happening uh, logistically right now there I think with museums the bounce back was a little bit easier I think there was just a a matter of social distancing. But what I think is really maybe most remarkable is how some institutions, and I'm gonna single one out, which is the Greenwood Cemetery, which is a cemetery, but it's also a cultural institution and they have cultural programming um, that exists in Brooklyn. Um, some people might be familiar with it, some of our listeners, but they, um, their annual visitors prior to the pandemic was it was around 325,000 visitors annually during the pandemic it skyrocketed to about 600,000 and that was because this was a place where people could gather there was music that was being played live music yeah. but people could be socially distant and people could really enjoy the um the atmosphere of that uh that space that really fascinating and when you think of the monuments and the history that's there it's it's really kind of a magical space uh enhanced by the the programming that was happening there, so that's a really I think great success story um, that came out of of COVID. Well, it's interesting. The um, internationally,
0: uh, one or two things did seem to happen that were quite positive actually, um, and will be long lasting. So in Sydney and London, I've noticed walking around the capital today in London that uh, there's m- much more activity of eating eating on the streets than there was, for example. So there's a kind of, and there's a I think there's going to be serious attempts, and there are to reanimate cities through cultural programming and all that kind of stuff and people always thought it was safer to be out in, in the open air and I think that there's something about that will survive this so there's a great phrase from the Barcelona mayor said before COVID that his strategy was about filling the streets with life and I think that's we're going to see a lot more of that the other thing you might be interested in is the the London culture mile initiative, which I don't know if you've come across, but this is an attempt to do what you do with your 34 institutions, bring them all bring them all together. This right. is, it, this is within uh, the financial district area of, of London, and so it's where the, the, the Museum of London is and and, uh, and a performing arts uh, college uh, and essentially what they've discovered is because they lost their tourists, their international and and national tourists, they didn't come for 18 months, they formed much stronger links with their local communities in in the physical neighborhood of their
1: institutions i don't know i don't know if that happened in new york i don't i don't know how much that happened but i think it is a really terrific um point to to pivot away and talk a little bit because you're talking about cultural institutions that uh and 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 i'm gonna sort of this is gonna be a little bit random um uh but you know you're talking about the central london cultural institutions and certainly we have that those are the ones that that um, we have a version of that, the ones that that the tourists all yeah. come for the MoMA and the Met and the Museum of Natural History and the, the, the Whitney, the, the sort of bigger institutions. But I think and I've been with the agency for 17 years, so this is my third uh, third mayoral administration. And it's really interesting to me or it has been interesting to see how um, our mission stays the same. We still invest in cultural uh, cultural capital regardless of the administration the reasons are a little bit different and i think what is what i have found in 17 years is that all of the reasons are valid and it's it's a both and kind of situation and not an either or kind of situation with um with with bloomberg with whom i i started my career in in civil service uh mike bloomberg um i think there was a real recognition that tourists bring dollars those dollars um, uh, increase those fills fill the tax coffers, and make the city uh, a a greater through that investment. Um, I think with de Blasio, there was a little bit more focus on how do we, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of people and especially young people who live in the the farther uh, edges of the city, uh, for whom a a trip to the Met takes an hour, hour and a half on a subway. Um, How do we make sure that they're seeing art get made? in their neighborhoods. So the investment is is a lot about investment outside of, of lower Manhattan, outside of the, the central core. Um, but the truth is that um, we sort of have quietly been able to continue to do all of that, which is make sure that we are investing in some of the institutions. Well, certainly Grimshaw has heard of the Queens Museum because that was a Grimshaw project, um, but there's also a Bronx Museum. There's also a Staten Island Museum. Staten Island Museum is the home to the I think the largest outside of maybe the Smithsonian, the largest collection of cicadas preserved. It's a little quirky, but we're now doing a project for them where we're opening their collection up so that it's not in a you know in a back room in some compact storage, but it's a collection that is a, a visitable collection that school groups can go and see. And I think school groups are school kids are going to be fascinated by cicadas mounted on wax um, <laughs> in a way that maybe you and I aren't. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, it's really about making sure that, that, again, I think really there's an emphasis on young people, that young people who are public school students are seeing art being made, are seeing creative things happening in the places that they live. Uh, and I think that's a really important thing. So, yeah. so there's this duality of let's invest in these in these marquee institutions, but let's also make sure that there's art happening everywhere.
0: That's an important point. I love that point. And I think uh, it's got resonance uh, all in many uh, global cities where, you know, the money has been put into the inevitably into the kind of uh, internationally attractive centres of, of art and culture, inevitably, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and it gives them the resources to have the collections and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, there are more and more pressures from other parts of the city to make sure that they're served in a cultural Industries kind of access to, as it were, and I think that that's very important. Uh, you you raise the point; it's a kind of social inclusion point, but it's also, I think, uh, people feel it like an equity point more and more. You know, I, I you know, I do pay my taxes, and I can't always get to see uh, cultural institutions in the centre. So please serve me um, more locally. I think that's going to grow. But but I, I wanted to say I should have said at the start. You know, we all love New York. You know, I mean, uh, it's our second city, really. You know, we just and we think we you know because we either watch it on television or, or, you know, movies. And I, many of us have been there, so we all love New York. And I, I particularly think it has got a special cultural offer. It really has, you know, it's sort of, it's got all these cultural institutions that are, you know, amazing, internationally wonderful, you know, and I, I sometimes you go to New York and you, you never get out of them. You know, I, I don't walk around the streets, I go straight to the cultural institutions. So they are fabulous. But at the same time, it's got this fascinating mix of cultures itself. It's got these boroughs that, people need to see more and more of you know when I used to come to New York I never bothered to go to Brooklyn you know uh, 20 years ago 30 years ago and I, I it's one of the first places I go now so so I think the, ch- the challenges I like what you said about the the cultural budget remains uh, something of a priority but the reasons behind it can change over the over the years and, and you've explained that that very well what what we shouldn't shy away from is your core activity let's just go there for a moment in terms of um, what you know People would be quite intrigued as to what is the cultural budget in, uh, in in New York at the moment, but also what are your the projects that you're focusing on at the moment in terms of capital capital. It's project. sort of
1: remarkable we've gone this far without mentioning that, but I, I- think it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's, um, it's, but a tribute, I- it's a tribute to your a your your capacity to know about all this stuff and your desire to talk about it. So I, I think it's <laughs> it's great. So and by the way, many of my colleagues and friends and others who listen to this are marvel at my at my listening capacity because I'm not famed for it. Uh, in in personal contact,
1: very much enjoying this. So tell me about the capital program. So we, right now our portfolio, and you know, as well as anyone, the capital projects take time. So we look at our budget in terms of a four or five year plan. Right now in our four year plan, we have just over a billion dollars. That's a huge, huge amount of money. There's nothing else, um, even even close to that, anywhere else in, in any other city in the US that is in support currently of about 450 projects 260 ish of them are construction or renovation or construction related infrastructure hvac systems things like that Um, but also uh, 180 of those are equipment projects we also um, with particularly for smaller organizations but not only for smaller organizations we invest in equipment projects theater lighting or um, x-ray systems for zoos or uh, vans and trolleys for some of the botanical gardens and 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 campus type locations um and so i I think i said about 450 projects and that's at 220 separate organizations so there's a couple of organizations that have more than one project but 220 it's a lot of organizations and i think in terms of what we do um that we have my team we have about 10 people and there's some some folks who have architecture backgrounds and there's some folks who have landscape architecture backgrounds and some folks with planning backgrounds and then there's some folks who just have um uh project management backgrounds i have someone who worked for a long time actually in london in in the world of fashion on my team and I, i previously had someone who who worked in in television production and i think those both of those are worlds where there's um uh collaborative collaboration among a team and there's disparate there's a push and pull of interests and and I, so I thought those were really translatable skills to what we do and and then then getting into the what we do, aside from the more mundane spreadsheet wrangling and presentation of budgets and things like that, what is what has been most surprising to me and to the to the folks that I work with is that there's really kind of two components to what we do. And they're, they're very surprising. One is act as translators. We act as translators between the world of construction, which you know is quite jargony, um, and this world of development um, with these cultural small culture, often small cultural groups. The big organizations, they have a team of architects and, and project management specialists, but for some organizations, for most of, or- of the organizations in our portfolio, A capital project, like a building of of a new wing or a new building, that's kind of a once in a generation thing. And they don't necessarily have the staff and they don't necessarily have uh, the understanding beyond, well, I, I know how a kitchen renovation is supposed to work. Is this just a big version of that? So a big part of our job is making sure that those cultural organizations can keep their focus on running their cultural programs and we can help them understand the world of a construction project or a capital project um, during this process. But at the same time, it helps our colleagues at the managing agency, the Department of Design and Construction to respond to the needs of the culturals. The other thing, of course, is that we act as as sort of a, a social workers for these organizations that are less familiar with the project and might be terrified uh, not to use as too strong a word, but terrified of some of the risks and some of the potential for, I, I mean, again, a capital project, it's a huge undertaking. And you know, what if it goes horribly awry? What if the costs uh, spiral out of control and it, it puts my business or my cultural organization out of business? Um, we're there to, to help reassure them that that is not gonna happen, that we have their backs. That's sort of our role is to have their backs, to make sure that these projects end up successful. You are listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City series with your host Tim Williams.
0: So you're you're acting as intermediaries and, and bridges between worlds, exactly. yep. So, and so therefore the skills you need are some of those skills rather than you know the more obvious project. project you, know, you need project management skills, but it's good to have these as well.
1: It's a it's a surprising amount of phone calls that involve the words don't panic everything's going to be okay right you know there's a, a surprising amount of consoling that happens that's a hugely important role
0: i, I i'm sure
1: you know I, I,
0: construction projects terrify me so i i'll be ringing you <laughs> now so uh, um i was going to ask you greatest hits we need to do we need to run through some greatest hits what, what do you particularly like of what you're doing at the moment or anything you, you regard as is really quite
1: important that that's a, a terrific question, um, and I'm going to I'm going to give me a minute to think about it. I'm going to give you some examples that are are great hits just because they're kind of fun and quirky. Um, we just opened a project for the Irish Art Center, which is a cultural facility that celebrates uh, Irish writing, Irish theater, Irish art, all things Irish. Um, and this is a weird project uh, or a fun project. Maybe weird. Maybe they wouldn't like it if I said weird, but uh, they know um, it. It gestated for a very long time, and it was it was first contemplated right before the economic downturn in two thousand and eight, um, and they had a, a lot of money from the city. And what was most curious is they also had money from the Irish government. We, as I said, we do a lot of projects where we blend money from the mayor, the borough president, and the city council. But this is the first time. That we've involved uh the t in that mix uh, wow. as well um so and 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 the only time that we've worked with another government um but there was a, a little bit of a panic in 2008 and how can we rethink this project in light of the financial instability and the organization was able to think about phasing that project um and i think that process of phasing ended up making it a much much better project so it we just cut the ribbon right at the time when things were opening up again after COVID and we're able to get audiences back into that space. It's a little bit scaled down, but what that downscaling helped them realize was that they could use their existing space. Uh, they, this the, the, the new building is adjacent to the space they had been operating from and, and they had planned to leave that behind, but there was a lot of charm to that old space. And this phasing forced them to, to make the, the, the new building smaller but it also allowed them to think, we could do another phase where we renovate that old space and keep that charm and keep that feeling of Irish hospitality that already exists and has history in that space. Um, so that's a really, uh, that's a really terrific project. We're uh, right now about, to we're in the midst of fundraising for um, the Isamu Nuguchi Sculptural, Sculpture Center, the Isamu Noguchi Museum and Sculpture Garden, which is in Queens in Long Island City, uh, terrific space, if, if you've never been, you should go, um, but they are working on a project now that will make uh, Noguchi's studio uh, accessible to visitors for the first time. I- I've been able to get a sneak peek and see that studio, and it's a really remarkable space, um, and it's great to see it in the same context with so many uh, remarkable pieces of art. Um, so that's a terrific project. Um, We're investing in a new visitor center at the Queens County Farm Museum. Believe it or not, there is an active farm uh, in New York City limits. Um, It has been active continuously operating as a farm since 1697, which in our world is quite a long time. Um, But this is a terrific opportunity for kids from the city to go out and um, see See what New York City used to be like and see what other parts of this country are still like uh, in terms of how food is produced um, and the labor associated with that food production. It's also a great opportunity, again, in the world of COVID, to have an experience um, that is uh, outdoors and socially distanced and safe. One of the other, I mean, a couple of projects that serve the same purpose. One of the things that we do that we of when we're deciding what projects we want to fund is we think how can the work that we how can our investment help enhance other city investments so probably people listening to this who have been to new york have been to the high line um and experienced that new park i think once upon a time in the conception of that park it wasn't sure that it was going to be quite the slam dunk that it has turned out to be yeah true so there was a real you know thought put into what can we do to make sure people are coming to this park? And ultimately, you you may have been to the uh, Renzo Piano uh, designed new facility for the Whitney Museum at the south end of the High Line. Um, so that's there so that we can augment and enhance the actual High Line Park. Those two things are bringing visitors to one another and and enhancing one another. That's another really important. great example of that is the um, is St. Anne's Warehouse. Which is a theater facility in Brooklyn that took an abandoned tobacco warehouse from the old, uh, uh, you know, trade port days. This is right on the on you know what was the docks in in Brooklyn, uh, but that it, they have now been transformed into a really really well used uh, urban park right on the the edge of the East River, and um, uh, the St. Anne's Warehouse took this abandoned tobacco warehouse and has built a theater in that space that is hugely successful and wonderful. But again, the amenity of the theater is is a jewel in the crown of the park. But similarly, the people in the park are activating the theater. So these investments really uh, reinforce one another um, in a way that that makes that, that leverages our dollars to make the city better in 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 different ways in multiple ways.
0: I I love the point that you were just making, uh, Andy, about the complementarity that you're trying to achieve, that that honestly, the win win is when you can actually complement another initiative of the mayor or or indeed help the place that the institution is in. Can you say a bit more about that? Is that just you, by the way, or is that a conscious strategy uh, of the of the department
1: or have you led on that? I think that often comes, uh, you know, uh, that's a terrific question. I think it comes sometimes from us from the agency and the leadership of the agency it comes sometimes from the mayor and 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 maybe the deputy mayor and uh maybe there are economic development forces that are part of it as well um but there i think there are instances where we are talking about and there's a really good accidental example of it is that that in that same neighborhood that houses the the irish arts center um hell's kitchen they're they're actually somewhat coincidentally about a half a dozen other cultural organizations have opened their doors in that same neighborhood um, of Hell's Kitchen, which which if you don't know New York, it's it's sort of just maybe a little bit north of, of Chelsea on the far west side um, uh, in the 50s and 60s probably. And that's created a little bit of a nexus, uh, an accidental nexus, where there's a, a handful of theater companies. Alvin Ailey has a, a space there, and the Irish Arts have a space there. Um, so it's a way that again all of those all of those investments are feeding off of one another um in terms of the the kind of grand vision and master planning and are you know are these are these visions for the city uh, all that deliberate and 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 what is our role in the agency in in making those determinations i, I think that it is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of cop out on this one because I think a lot of those decisions happen at City Hall and yeah. trickle down to us. Yeah. Um and then of course we're completely supportive of them because we we recognize that vision. But I think a lot of them are coming from um the, the mayor and the deputy mayor and uh their collaborations with the city planning uh department and and broader visions um for we're we're not necessarily at this agency taking the lead on that kind of broad development, though we are certainly cognizant of it and very much supportive of it but it's interesting because even if it's not always your conscious
0: management of it or or, or determination of it it's interesting that because of i know this is going to sound romantic to somebody who actually has to work with the complex institutions that there are in new york but actually by international comparison you know that complementarity is possible Uh, in in New York, because often, uh, we have the trouble in Australian cities. uh, And I've said this many, many times of the the layers of government, you know, a place can be managed by a myriad of people with uh, different governance levels and and getting departments and other people to work on the basis of a place rather than just a a building or a service, or, you know, a road that might actually work with the place or something, We, we find that fitting together quite difficult. So anything that looks like you know some integration of effort really appeals to to me and i think is, is good job well done because places matter as well as buildings if you like i, I was going to ask you about is there um uh, just when they were doing the 2017 strategy was when a lot of people were talking about things like innovation districts which would you know bring together um you know universities and private sector research and you know a bunch of things that come together in a place that with economic activity activities the focus Recently, people have started talking about cultural innovation precincts or, or districts. Is that is that figuring
1: in your in your thinking at the moment? I'm, I will say that it is, but I think it's it's uh, it's figuring in in a little bit different way. I think it's less about creating those districts and more about preserving them. And and you know, I think as a as a lover of cities, you certainly know that a lot of times the creative community finds its way into um, into affordable spaces um, and they do so so successfully I, I want to avoid the, the the loaded G word but they do so in a way that brings other people to those neighborhoods yes, and and suddenly um, suddenly those neighborhoods maybe aren't so affordable for them anymore we
0: see it everywhere it's it's a phase that's happened everywhere it happened in the inner east of London and the arts community has been moving east more easterly all the time to a cheaper, you
1: know rents really so uh, what we try to do in those instances is help organizations who are maybe renting their space um if they can manage to do an acquisition if they can manage to build that space um we would uh help them with that project uh you know if, if they can if they can if they can purchase the space if they can do an acquisition so they're not beholden to rents to those real estate pressures we will help them renovate that space. Similarly, if a developer comes in and wants to do something on a block that's going to displace them. Um, we'll work with the developer to, you know, through maybe a zoning trade off, maybe you get 10 extra floors in your in your residential tower uh, on uh, as a result of putting in a cultural space uh, in the first two or three floors. Um, we do that kind of thing all the time so that we can make sure that culturals that are part of a neighborhood stay part of that neighborhood even as the neighborhood changes. We also you know are able to use our budget to take organizations who are occupying maybe through through his through uh, through 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 what's the word I'm looking for who are occupying perhaps public spaces, city spaces disused, public schools, for instance, right. yes. um, we have a number of organizations, uh, the most famous of one, uh, of which to, to probably your uh, uh, listeners is, is PS1, uh, now affiliated with MoMA, the great contemporary art space in Queens, uh, that occupies a former public school. Uh, it is not the only organization in our portfolio that occupies a former public school. We have a, a good half dozen of them, and um, those remain city property, by and large, and we invest in, in, in keeping them in good shape. And, and I think one of the really important things, and this is, you talked a little bit about Create, Create NYC, which talked a lot about vision and a lot about programming and a lot about support, but not so much about capital. It was very not specific on the capital side, with one exception, and that exception is accessibility. Um, a lot of those old public school buildings. Never contemplated that someone would need an elevator. Um, And so they don't have them. So that's actually a huge part uh, uh, of what we do is putting things like ramps and elevators into buildings, I I would say at any given time, there's probably a half a dozen elevator projects in our portfolio. We had a a requirement put into create NYC of an investment of a minimum of $2.2 million each fiscal year in those uh those types of accessibility projects and i'm happy to say that since uh since create nyc was adopted we've actually put in over 25 million uh in in projects that enhance accessibility so it's something we're really proud of and and we're we're proud to take the infrastructure that already exists in the city and invest in it so that it can be put to use rather than demolished and built over but put to use for another purpose
0: that's a big uh, trend in in at the moment. Uh, um, people thinking obviously about decarbonization and and you know, the whole impact of construction. So we're, we're all getting into adaptive reuse in a rather big way. And it sounds to me as though you've been doing that uh, for quite some time. I'm going to ask you two last questions. Uh, sure. this, by the way, I, I think this has been really interesting and really, really fascinating. And also, you know, you've got to Really interesting job in a really brilliant place, you know. So I think that we, we all love this kind of discussion. I've got to, I was going to ask you um, probably various answers to this, but in your own mind, what's what? What do you think of is the is as a success as a success factor? You know, if you were to say say yourself, I've, we've just done a job done well. You've mentioned a few of them, but you know, what does success look like for for your team and your department?
1: That's a terrific question. Again, I think it hinges on how long. Capital projects take, and capital projects take a long time. Capital projects that are government projects tend to take even longer. And and it's sort of a maybe a, a simplistic or oversimple answer, but the biggest successes are the are you know are are the ones that finish. And and that's not to say that some don't finish, but they, they take so long sometimes that it's it's so rewarding when you get to that ribbon cutting, when you get to that moment of saying. All of the, you know, difficult phone calls and scratching head about budget and, and, you know, complaining about uh, uh, slow progress on a construction site. um, All of that pays off because you're seeing people occupying that space. It was, I I will say, was especially moving. I mean, going to the inaugural event at that Irish Arts Center facility was, was, uh, it brought tears to my eyes because we had been away from culture for so long. And that project had been in my portfolio, in the agency's portfolio for a good 12 years by that point. And to go in there and to see not only the project being realized, but people getting that joy from being in this space and and knowing that the work that we do that is sometimes really, really frustrating, um, but seeing that it brings that level of joy and that level of participation and that level of uh, 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 wonder, I think that's a really good word, that that level of wonder to the city um, and the people in the city is is a hugely, hugely rewarding. I well, don't know fact, if that answered your question,
0: that's a brilliant answer to the question. And I think um, uh, who am I as a Welshman and therefore a fellow Celt to the Irish to complain about the fact that the Irish get get tremendous credit in this uh half an hour 40 minutes uh, yeah
1: i'm talking about them too much what who else can i talk about no, no. Well, uh, <laughs>
0: you know you're, you're very aware aren't you that the irish or welsh who could swim that is that is the view of the of the welsh um i'm, I was I'm gonna
1: get in trouble if i either. <laughs> not,
0: absolutely so. you pick any ethnic group we'll have a go at it right so uh, I was gonna, uh, what I, what i was gonna say was um i love that answer and i think that's that is always the best answer if somebody is involved in the built environment is you know it, it took a lot of pain but have a look at it you know this is like a real a real result i'm going to give you a, a an easy question to end because you've earned it i think which is what would you like to say is there anything you'd like us to understand about that you haven't covered yet that you wish to say about either you know the, the department's work your work where you go next what's the what's the neck on the next agenda for you
1: uh well i mean what's 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 next for us yeah i'm i'm really excited about uh, a program that we're about to start um piloting and it uh it it actually germinated in 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 my head as a result of a podcast i listened to and i'm not going to name it but um it got me thinking about again this idea that a lot of for a lot of our organizations um uh, a capital project is a once in a lifetime type thing number one and number two. We really want to be making sure that we're sharing our love not just to the the, the big marquee institutions that everyone's heard of, but some of these smaller and scrappier uh, organizations in further out communities. By further out, I mean away from from the Manhattan that that tourists and visitors know. And you know, a, a lot of those organizations they they want they, they they're doing terrific programming, and they are in desperate need of improved infrastructure. But the notion of a um, of a capital project is really scary, and they don't really even know where to begin. They just know we need something, but we don't know how to get there. Um, so we are right now piloting a pre-scoping program that will allow us to use some expense money. That's the not the money that comes from the bonds, but the money that comes from tax levies um, to bring in... Uh, like a, a some kind of consultant a project management consultant an owner's rep type consultant to help work with a core group of of these smaller organizations to think about strategic planning and and pre-scoping and what would uh, what would a possible future investment of capital funds mean for your organization not just in terms of wouldn't it be nice to have a nice building but how much is it going to cost us then to have an engineer to run that building, and the guards that are necessary, or the ushers that are necessary uh, to operate it, or the educators for an educational program, and you know, is it maybe it's more prudent for us to continue to exist exactly as we exist now? Um, but maybe not. Maybe there's a way that that uh, a modest investment by the city could really be transformative in the in the growth of our of our of our institution and in uh, therefore in our community. So we're really excited we've just put um we've just put out to bid uh, uh or just put out uh, for solicitation uh, a request for proposals from um uh owners reps and project managers to to see if there's interest in helping partner with some of these organizations to do this pre-scoping project. if it is successful I hope that we'll be able to get a small amount of that expense money renewed each year so that we can provide this kind of benefit to more organizations and again that's That's really a direct investment outside of the the kind of culturals that probably most visitors to New York are going to see, but the ones that have the most impact on uh, New Yorkers and people in neighborhoods. Really excited about that.
0: I'm going to end there, although I could go on for a long time. We could. I was worried, but we could. Absolutely no, I don't know why you were. Uh, I have to say to you, that was a really fantastic conversation. We learned a lot. We all now want to go to New York, not just to see the headline institutions, but to go to some of the boroughs and see what else is going on, partly because of your enthusiasm and the insights that you've shared. Andy Burmeister, can I thank you very much indeed um, from uh, from all sorts of perspectives. But I just want to end on this thought, you know, the, the New York's cultural offer to its citizens and to Americans and to the world is so important. and. We've seen, we've heard today a little bit about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that about actually gets these buildings built or repaired or done. And it's a fascinating story, and it's actually a heartwarming story. So thank you very much for sharing it with us.
1: You've been listening to the second series of the Grimshaw podcast, Culture and the City, with your host, Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in this series
0: from your favourite podcast provider.